Let me continue then our series in 1 Corinthians today, and we are on chapter 11, the second part. And so let me read the text for us, and then we'll, we'll work through it slowly. So now Paul is, uh, he just finished talking about, um, what was last time about the uh, head coverings issue, remember? And so now he says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. So, uh-oh, we're in trouble now, right? Paul's got some criticisms for us as a church in Corinth, and so let's listen. In the first place, I hear that when you come together, which of you have God's approval? Do you pick up that sarcasm? The reason there's differences, no doubt, the reasons there have to be differences is to show which one of you are really the ones who have God's approval and which don't, right? I mean, you don't want to be mingling with people who don't have God's approval. That's the, the idea in their hearts was that they were divided and they thought it was because some of them were more spiritual. They were more okay with God than the other believers. So then, when you come together... It's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And as a result, one person remains hungry and another one gets drunk even. And then don't you have homes to eat in or drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For them to divide themselves and to rank themselves spiritually and to, to despise the church by humiliating those who didn't have enough food, it'd be like a potluck with rank, right? It'd be like a potluck dinner where certain groups didn't let other groups have the good food or any food. And some would even imbibe so much that they would become drunken. So certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. You understand that falling asleep is the way the apostle refers to death. Right? So many believers have died at least a number of them have, because of their unworthy participation in the Lord's table. Verse 31, But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, 
we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So God brings judgment into us, sickness and weakness, to correct us, to discipline us, because he does not want us to be dishonoring. And, but either way, we're not condemned to the world. So this is the believers being corrected by God for their behavior. All right. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Those who are hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Again, thank you for this group of believers. Together we stand before you and we ask you through your spirit to give us insight. Help us understand, Lord Jesus, your work and your, your body and blood for us. Help us to regard these things the way you want us to so that we would not bring judgment on ourselves and, and help us to regard this whole experience of the Lord's Supper from your perspective so that we would do it right. Now we thank you. Give us what we need in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I have an outline. My first point of the outline is, is the problems. What were the problems that we see in this church? In the following directives, I have no praise. So that's a problem, right? Our meetings do more harm than good. Isn't that sad that a group of believers could get together and cause more harm than good? Now, who would be the ones that would be being harmed? It would be those who gathered, right? It's not more harm to the city or more harm to the, the state. It's more harm to those who participate. How sad it would be for our, our church meetings to actually hurt the cause of Christ in our life. Have you ever been part of a church meeting like that? Boy, it's been a really, really long time for me, and praise God, it never has happened in this building that I know of. And so um, that's a sad thing, but it was happening in Corinth that the meetings were causing harm. He said, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions. And we remember all the way back at the beginning of 1 Corinthians that there was divisions. Some liked Paul as a preacher, some liked Paulus, some liked uh, Peter and Cephas or whatever. And the others say, hey, I'm way more spiritual than you. I follow Jesus, not those other guys. And oh, yeah, yeah. And they're back and forth, back and forth. And, and Paul spent a lot of time explaining to them that those are not legitimate divisions. But anyway, one of the ways that they're doing it is that they thought that these differences among them were to show which and who had God's approval. So there's the spiritual group, the super spiritual group, and then the not so spiritual group, and maybe some other groups after that, right? And so can you imagine, what, what if we had like uniforms and we all had a little badge on, and so um, some of us would have the badge is a really good Christian, prays every day, gives money to the church, you know, the, the gold star, right? The gold star Christians. And then, you know, the ones who, like in Paul's, in Corinth here, they don't even sleep with their husband and wife anymore because they're always praying and fasting, you know, that, they're really super gold star Christians, right? The super, super ones, you know who those are? And then another group that are, maybe they're, um, I don't know, brown star or black star. You know, they're not quite as shiny. They're not the 
maybe there's silver star. We got the gold star, the silver star, and then there's the no stars. And they might be new people. You know, we, we're reaching out to them. We let them come, but they kind of smell funny. And they, um, you know, they don't even know how to pray the right way. They don't even know how to say thee and thou. You know what I mean? They don't even know how to pray in the King James dialect or something silly like that. And so there's these differences. And, and these differences, they, they didn't try to diminish them in their experience. They amped them up. They, they regarded their differences as, see, see, you can tell who God loves, who God approves of by the differences between us. Can't you tell? And so they actually used these differences to somehow in their own minds think that they were better than their brother and sister sitting across the road. It's the same. How could they? How can, we, how can we think that we're better than the person for whom Jesus bled and died? And why do I think I'm better? Because the only reason I'm in his family at all is because Jesus bled and died for me, right? You see, I didn't bring anything to the table. It's not like I was the first round draft pick or because I was so great. No, I'm, I'm a sinner and I would have been one of the ones who said, crucify, crucify, crucify. My heart is just as wicked as any lost person. And for me to think that somehow I'm more approved by God, that I get, that, like, I, like I got anything less than grace than they did? I mean, why did God save me? Because I was so sharp? No. Why does God approve me now? Because I'm such a good follower? No. It's because I'm in Jesus, and Jesus paid it all. And so is my brother and sister in Jesus. And there is no qualitative difference. There's no relational benefit. You can be real close to Jesus or you could be a newborn baby Christian and never had any experiences at all. And you are both totally okay in Jesus. There's no difference. You cannot say that one believer is more approved than another. Any more than you can say that I am more approved by God today than I was yesterday or that I will be tomorrow. God will not love me less tomorrow, no matter what I do today. It's not my performance. It's grace. And so these differences are based on a wrong theology, a wrong thinking about everything. So when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you're eating. You're, you're eating, some of you go ahead with your private suppers. It's all about you. It's all about your horizontal relationship and all of your conflict. And some people get hungry and other people get drunk. And it's just a big chaotic mess. And there's no awareness of the unity that we're in together in the church. It's not our family. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church? When a person views it this way and they were humiliating those who had nothing. Can you imagine being one of the group who was the down and outers or the poor people? And they would come to church and they wanted to love and worship Jesus the same way. And all these other Christ, all these other believers who claim that they love Jesus too, and they're really wealthy and they're prosperous and they're over there eating at the high table and they're, they're having a blast. And you're over here starving and scratching and you don't even have enough to bring. And you can't give a big offering like they give a big offering. And you can't sing as well as they sing. And they're all this super spiritual gifted and you're just, you just feel like you're nothing. 
and you probably are. And yet, look at what Paul says is those people are are despising Jesus' church because they're humiliating. They're treating other believers like they're nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? Certainly not, right? So this is a bad thing for this to happen. Now, we have to understand, there are differences between us. Did you know that? Some of us like Michigan, and some of us like Michigan State. Go Wisconsin, right? Some of us like Fords, and some of us like Chevys. Some of us homeschool, some of us Christian school, some of us public school. Ah, starting to step on toes a little bit now, maybe, huh? Some of us think that Donald Trump's a great thing. Some of us think that Donald Trump's not a great thing. Some of us have brown skin. Some of us have white skin. Some of us have three-digit salaries. Some of us have no salaries. Some of us are master degree educated. Some of us didn't even make it out of high school. Some of us vaccinate our babies. Some of us won't. Some of us eat hamburgers. Some of us won't. What happens is we start to pick these differences and we work through them. And, um, you know, I've worked it all out and Chevy is the right one. And so, although I have a Ford, I think I have two Ford. Anyway, but pretend that I thought Chevy was the right one. And I, I come to the persuasion that anybody, any right division of the Bible would understand that Chevy's the right choice. And and I don't understand what, how you could be a Ford fan is so foreign to me. And so because we're different and because I'm a proud person, I'm going to say that the difference is evidence that I'm smarter than you or I'm better, I'm more spiritual. I've figured out what the Bible says and I know that the Chevy option is the right option and I'll forgive you and I'll put up with you, but you're kind of less than me. See, I'll take some kind of, and this is not my own idea, but we heard this from Tim Keller, but I'll take some kind of a difference and I'll, I'll moralize it. I'll make it a right and wrong and make you a nothing. And so I'll take my view of, of something like a Christian school or something and I'll make that some homeschool thing. I'll, I'll make that a moral definition of how moral, my choice is a greater choice. I'm sacrificing or I'm doing the right thing. And since you're not, I, re, I remember one time a person said that uh, I'm a, I go to, I send my kids to Christian school because I have a conviction about it. And I wanted to say as a person whose kids are in public school, you're saying I'm convictionless, aren't you? You see that we that it's easy to take some kind of a preferential view or some difference and make it a, some moral proof to us because we're so desperate to be cool. We have to be better than other people. We have to be okay, right? Isn't that why we do that? We're always defending ourselves or, or arguing our own position as if it's better. I like guitars. I don't like guitars. I like organs. I like hymns, I like worship music. I like, keep name on the list, right? We'll pick our little battles and we'll, 
We'll make ourselves and we'll organize, we'll think it through. And you know what? We might actually be right. It might even be true that we're supposed to be Chevy fans. Maybe. Maybe you could actually. But is it still right to view a Ford fan as a different or as a lesser than? I don't think so. You see, the Bible is real clear about what's important. And a lot of these things, almost everything I've mentioned, if not literally everything I've mentioned, as a potential difference between us, are secondary or even uh, matters of deference, right? Some people in those days would argue about whether or not you were supposed to um, observe the Sabbath or not. And some people were real strict about you had to not work on a Saturday. and That's the way you're supposed to do it. And other people said they treated every day the same. Hey, they're all the same. I can work. I can do whatever I want. And they're... There might be a right answer to that, but the point is is that Paul makes it really clear. Each one is supposed to be persuaded in their own mind. We're not supposed to put judgment on anybody else, and we're supposed to say, hey, they answer to Jesus, and I answer to Jesus. Each one is going to answer to their master the same. It is none of my business to be rebuking and, and criticizing and especially dividing myself from you or considering myself more approved by God from you because of what position I take on a matter of deference. You understand? It's not right. We're doing more harm than good by making distinctions based on things that don't matter than if we didn't. We're doing more harm than good. So we need to be careful about this. This is a really horrible problem, and that's what the Corinthians were in. And he says there's no honor in that. There's nothing good. So what is the remedy? What's the solution? And Paul goes right into remember the truth. He says, right in the middle of this critique, he says, listen, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. You remember that night? You remember the disciples were gathered around? It was a They didn't know it was the Last Supper. It was the Passover meal. And they prepared the Passover. And you remember what they were arguing about? (laughs) Which one of them was the greatest? And Jesus, uh, knowing what was going to happen, he showed them the full extent of his love. And John 13 tells us he took the towel and he wrapped it around his waist and he went to each one of those men and washed their feet. Peter knew what was going. He said, you can't wash my feet. This isn't right. You're the master. And Jesus says, no, I need to do this. Otherwise, you have no part in me. And Peter says, hey, my whole body, then, if that's what it's all about. And Jesus said, no, your whole body's clean. I just have to wash your feet. You realize he washed Judas's feet, too? Huh. And so he... Um, He was betrayed that night. And then he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. I think one of the Gospels says, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so he he tells his disciples to participate, to eat this bread, but it's a symbol. And what's it a symbol of? It's a symbol of his body. His body that would be... uh, Think about his body. His body was 30, 33 years old. He was born as a little baby. He was uh, the eternal God. 
ever-present, everlasting, the word that was with God, the word that was God, the word that made everything. And at that moment in time, he, he emptied himself and he humbled himself and he became a human being that the Holy Spirit produced in the pre-existing materials in Mary's body, a, an embryo and the Lord Jesus as fully God and a human being, one one person with two natures was starting to form and he had a body with fingers and toes that developed in Mary's womb and, and then he was born and, and he had afterbirth on him and he was normal and he was unrecognizable. He, he had to go to the bathroom and he sweat and he had calluses and he had body odor and he had to work and he, he was just like us. He had a body and he's... The amazing, it's a mystery of godliness that he became flesh. And for 30 years, he lived in his body. Never once, ever once broke God's law. Never once was independent. Never once was uh, self-reliant or autonomous. He always submitted to the Father. When his ministry started, he was, he was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended on him as a dove in a special way for his gifting. And yet the Bible tells us that he had the Holy Spirit without limit. And the Holy Spirit drives them into the wilderness to starve for 40 days in his body. His body was hungry. He was near death from starvation. And Satan comes and tries to get him to fix the problem, turn the stone into bread. You can do this. And he says, I won't. I Man does not live by bread alone. I don't need the bread. That's not the sustaining factor in my life. It's every word from God. I'm not going to be independent. I'm not. Eve took the fruit because it was good to eat and she wanted to be wise and she wanted to be her own boss and she wasn't even hungry. She was living in the Garden of Eden and Jesus is in the desert and he says, I won't. I'm going to trust God even if he starved to death in his body. He stood for us. He never sinned in his body. Isn't that something? If he did even once, we don't have a Savior. And so here on this night he was betrayed, he took bread, and he says, this is my body. This is, this is a evidence. This is a symbol of my body, which is for you. I live this perfectly righteous life in the body for you. And tomorrow at this time, I'm going to say it's finished. And he's going to give up the ghost and he's going to die. But in between this next 24-hour period, he's going to be beaten and stripped and mocked and spat upon and stabbed, nailed to a cross and, and pierced for our iniquities. He's going, his body is going to be tortured for us because God is holy And God cannot have sin in his presence. And he who had no sin, the Lord Jesus is perfect, is going to take all of our sin upon him at the cross and bear all of the penalty and guilt for our sin. My sin, my pride, my selfishness, my loss, my greed, my gluttony. All those things are going to be put, they were put on him. And he bears all the guilt. Still thinking about Christian school or not? I'm not. (laughs) Right? This is a bigger deal. You get it? 
This is the defining thing. And for those of us who understand this, is in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. A covenant is an agreement, a, a contract, a law. And God had made covenant with man many times. And, and there was the covenant with Abraham where he, um, Abraham tore the animals in half. And then God's spirit, the God went through, the God's presence went between the two parts of the animal to make an oath. He said, if I ever break this oath, may it be unto me. It's like saying, cross my heart, hope to die. It's more than that. It's saying, rip me in half if I break my law if I break my promise. And God went through and made a promise to Abraham. And now Jesus is giving a new covenant, a new promise, a new relationship, and it's written and signed with his blood. Once for all, Hebrew tells us that he's the high priest that goes into the holiest of holy places and offers his blood once for all as a propitiation, a payment for sin. And all of the sins of all of those who are in Christ is washed away forever. So that's who we are. That's our identity. The people in this room who believe in Jesus, you are bought with the blood and body of the Lord Jesus. That's what makes you valuable. That's what makes you approved to God. It's not your, what you do on the Sabbath or not. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And when we and when, when I participate in this table and think it's about me, and not about us. Or when I think, of, when I participate in this table and I say, oh, those, those lesser thans, I am violating God's view of you. And that's what's wrong. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, what are we doing? We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That, what is the greatest event of history? Was it when Jesus was born? It's a pretty big one. Was it when when Jesus created the heaven and earth, that's a pretty big day. What's the greatest event in history? When Jesus gave his life to purchase salvation for those who were his enemies. While we're his enemies, Christ died for us. All right, so that's the key. We need to keep the focus, the right focus. And what binds us together as our identity in Christ. So he says now, now you need to examine yourself. You need to think this through. So if that's what your problem, if you were dividing, and now you've understood again what the big deal is, is the gospel, the story of Jesus. Now let's examine ourselves. So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Okay, so my first question, what is an unworthy manner? From the scholars that I've been reading, one of the unfortunate parts of this passage is that we're so familiar with it that we put this section right after the first section and we think that the eating in an unworthy manner is, the, um, is something that we do to the elements. We're, so, we're connecting that connection so much that we're, we think that if we eat in an unworthy manner, like say we ate the Lord's bread with our cowboy hat on, or if we ate it and, and weren't reverent enough, it's something that we're doing to the elements. But I don't think that that's it actually at all. And uh, I, we can talk more about it, but I'm going to say that what is, it, is an unworthy manner is it's to participate in the Lord's Supper 
with conflicts, divisions, or attitudes that dishonor our fellow believers. That's the whole context of this situation. What made it unworthy was that they were dividing themselves and and having private dinners and humiliating the church of Christ by humiliating those who didn't have, those who were poor among them. And so the manner was the whole table, not just what you do to the elements, okay? What does it mean to sin against the body and blood of Christ? So if you eat in an unworthy manner, then you're sinning against the body and blood. Well, what does that mean? How do you sin against the body and blood of the, of the Christ? And I think the answer to that is it's disrespecting him. It's like the sin of betraying and rejecting him all over again. It's what, what's what Judas did. Judas sinned against the body and blood of the Lord Jesus because after Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken through, this is my blood, which is the new covenant, Judas goes off and betrays him. And so it's, it's like being guilty of the same sin. At least it's that. It could be other things too, but I think that's at least what it is. So everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment unto themselves. So we just got done reading the verse that says, if you do it in an unworthy manner, you sin against the body and blood. And now he says, examine yourself for those who eat and drink without discerning the body. So what's the difference between discerning the body of of Christ versus sinning against the body and blood of? You see that there's a different statement. One is sinning against body and blood, and this one is discerning the body. So this is understanding. So I'm going to uh, take us back a little bit and argue. First of all, if you go back to chapter 10, remember in the discussion about eating meat offered to idols, that they were uh, reminded that you can't participate with an idol and with the Lord's Supper. You're blending things. You should not do it. And in that phrase, he says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Right? The answer is yes, it is. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Yes, so we're talking about the Lord's Supper, right? The Thanksgiving meal. If you you participate in the blood, you participate in the body, you participate in the bread, so the idea is participating in the body of Christ. And then he says, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one loaf. So Paul's conclusion from that in his argument about the meat offered idols is that we're one body, we're part of one body together. So that's what happened two chapters ago. Now what does Paul talk about in the chapter right after the chapter we're studying tonight or today? And it says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but is all but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles. You talk about differences, right? That was as big a difference as you could. We have no idea how big a difference that was. I don't even know if we have two categories of people today that could be put in the same sentence as distinct as Jews and Gentiles were in the Corinthians' day. But anyway, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given to drink uh, one spirit to drink. So, two chapters ago, it was the whole body. Next chapter is the body of Christ. And then look at the solution 
to the problem today, which we haven't got to yet, but verse 33, so then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. So the problem was they were not eating together, and the solution is they should eat together. So my question is, what does it mean to discern the body of Christ? We're not talking about his, his body necessarily. I think that we're talking about us to see that we are all part of the same body of Christ, the same body. So when we eat in an unworthy manner, we need to examine ourselves and discern, am I discerning the body of Christ here? In other words, am I aware of the fact that you and I, as believers, are part of the same body? There is no less than, greater than, separations within us. You get it? If I'm sitting in the, table, in the chair during communion and the Holy Spirit can point out to me, you think you're better than that group. You think you're better than that person. You think you're smarter than she is. If you are thinking those things, you are not discerning where you are. Where are we? Who are we? body of Christ. If God puts so much value on your brother and sister in Christ that he would send his one and only son to suffer and die for them, who do you or I think we are that we think we're better than them? And that's the problem. And that's the solution. So everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat judgment on drink, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, a number have fallen asleep. But if we are more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, um, sorry. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are also being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So I think I made that point. So the point is, all together. <laughs> We're supposed to do communion all together. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. And if there are mitigating circumstances, like somebody's hungry or something, eat something at home first. The purpose of this meal is not to satiate our hungers. It's to participate together in the identity that makes us one in Christ. Follow? To make sense? Well, I wish I would have been there when Paul came and gave further instructions, like he says he did, but we'll have to wait to glory to hear what those are. He didn't write them down. So it's our privilege this morning to participate in the Lord's table. And so I hope that this has been sufficient to prepare your heart, that you would realize today that part of this, a significant part of this is that we're communing together with God and gratitude for what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So if the men want to come forward, we can go ahead and start.